You are listening to the Crosspoint Fellowship Podcast. This series is called Celebrity, where we're taking a look at who Jesus is today and how he gives us instant access to where we don't belong. All right. <clears throat> Another all-play question. Got my son out of here, so I don't have to be nervous anymore. Um, who, who, for you, who is the most down-to-earth celebrity that you know, and by no, I don't mean like you personally know them, but, but just from what you've seen, and, and who's the most down-to-earth celebrity that you know? What? Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby. Okay, that's a good one. Why, why is he so down-to-earth for you? <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. Taylor? Well, I must, I must admit, I must admit, that was uh, when, my, when my stomach did almost the same thing with Taylor that it did with Elijah um, earlier. <laughs> so, too soon for the rest of you there? Uh, too soon? Um, <clears throat> anybody, any, 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 anybody other than Taylor? Anybody other than Taylor? Now, thank you. You've lost your privileges to speak during service. <laughs> You have, you've, your card is now revoked. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer Lawrence, what? Oh, okay, because she tripped, because she made a complete fool of herself. Awesome, awesome. Do what? Will Smith, what makes him down to earth for you? Yeah, anybody that can defeat aliens is down to earth. Okay, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Not so much. Okay. <laughs> um, down-to-earth celebrities. And uh, celebrities go on talk shows and stuff uh, to be seen as, as down-to-earth. We've, we've talked about that and, uh, as, as down-to-earth. In fact, there was a kind of a down-to-earth moment for one of our sports star celebrities, the MVP of the NBA uh, this week, Kevin Durant, of, of how he was so grateful to his mother and his, uh, how, how she uh, raised him and uh, his faith and God and, and, and all of that. And it, it, it touched a lot of people, uh, commentators and, and, and uh, uh, sports analysts and stuff, and how they were talking about how it brought tears to their eyes. And we love, we love down-to-earth celebrities. In fact, look, I, maybe make some people upset that I'm even going to bring this up, but uh, no matter what your political affiliation is, think back. We did this among our small group. Think back to the last several uh, uh, presidential elections. Most of those presidents that were elected, they had the down-to-earth factor. They had that, could I have a drink with them factor. Now, you can define drink for yourself, but they have that that. Who is the one that you can picture, not put political, you know, if you were just to sit down to talk about life, talk about hobbies, talk about family, which one would you rather sit down with? Probably, for the most part, if you go back into recent history and look at the presidential elections and who won, it was the one who you could picture sitting down with a drink with over the other one, despite political affiliation. We like our celebrities down to earth. 
down to earth. We're in this series called Celebrity. We're taking a look at the greatest in our society, who we have made the greatest in our society. And, and, and you're like, ah, I don't think that much about celebrities and stuff. Well, people seem to think that you do because when you go to Walmart, what do you see? In the checkout line, celebrities' faces, right? On People Magazine, getting into their life, and National Enquirer, getting into their mythological life, and, and Cosmo, getting into that part of their life. And not only that, but we see them and they, 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 they use their name and their status in order and, and to, to try to get into instant access into their life in order to see how their life can benefit ours. And we're utilizing this metaphor with the book of Hebrews, because the writer of Hebrews took a look at the people who, who, who his readers saw as the greatest, angels and uh, Moses and Abraham. They saw them as the greatest. They were the celebrities of their day and their context. And the writer of Hebrews said, hey, look, Jesus is greater than all of them. He's using evidence upon evidence upon evidence to tell us that Jesus is greater than Whoever we set up is greatest. But see, God has a problem. And some of you that have struggled with God and struggled with church, you understand this problem. In fact, you kind of wonder why we don't get this problem as Christians. God has a problem. How can a heavenly God be down to earth? By definition, a heavenly God can't be down to earth, right? He's heavenly. He lives in a whole other world than us. So how on earth can he understand what it's like to live here on earth and go through the same things that we go through? Then on top of that, some of you fell out of church or don't go to church because church leaders, church staff and pastors who don't seem to be down to earth. See, what's this whole down to earth thing all about? Really, it's about empathy, right? It's about empathy. See, sympathy is just feeling sorry for somebody. Empathy is actually knowing what it's like to live their life. So we've fallen out of church or we've struggled because of leaders and not being down to earth. And the writer of Hebrews deals with this because this is a big big deal because how we view God actually first comes with how we view the leaders who say they represent God, right? And so if, if God isn't by definition down to earth and then our leaders who by definition or by action aren't down to earth, we are giving people who do not believe in God two strikes against God before they ever show up to church. That's not good. Because if there's two strikes against God in their mind, they probably won't ever show up to church. It's way too close to three. But the writer of Hebrews deals with this. Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 1. You can follow along in a hardbound Bible. We'll throw the verses up on the screen. Encourage you to download the Bible app on a smartphone or a tablet and follow along. We put all the, all the verses and allow you to take notes in the Bible app. We encourage you to take notes and grab a cheat sheet or whatnot what and take notes on that. <clears throat> but the writer of Hebrews deals with this, with this issue with church leaders. Every high priest 
which the high priest in the Old Testament was basically their, their pastors, their leaders. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. See, what the high priest was, and now today, church leaders, what, 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 what they are there for is for, for, for them to, to represent God to the people, saying this is who God is, this is how he has revealed himself to us, this is what he wants for our life, this is who God is, but he also represents man to God, of saying, hey, God, they're They're sorry. <laughs> they're sorry. See, this high priest, he presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sin. This high priest offered sacrifices in order to say to God, hey, the people are sorry. They've blown it. But here's the, here's the next sentence that, 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 that makes a world of difference. He is able to deal gently, to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weakness. And some of you are like, you calling me ignorant? Yes, I am. I'm calling myself ignorant too. Guess what? I'm ignorant about a lot of things. And this is the classical definition of ignorant. Just unknowing. You just don't know about something. Taylor, what you're going to school for, computer science and all that, I ain't got a clue. I'm ignorant. Yeah, you're in accounting. Exactly, exactly. And for most of your jobs, I'm ignorant to your jobs. For most of you, you're like, I'm ignorant to yours, and I don't even want to know. We're ignorant, and we're ignorant about spiritual things. I'm ignorant about spiritual things. That's why I still read the Bible. That's why I still pray. And the wayward, though, that's, the, that's the, just the downright rebellious. Downright rebellious. Forging their own path away from God. But the high priest, the leaders, are supposed to deal gently with this. Why? As John Maxwell, I heard John Maxwell say one time, he's a leadership guru and speaks and writes and, and all this. He said, we're all one step away from stupid. Every one of us, me. In fact, this week, I took that step a couple of times. One step away from stupid. We're one step away from ignorant. We're one step away from wayward. And the reason why, the reason why we deal gently with people is because we all understand we're one step away from stupid. And for those of you that have fallen out of church because you have seen the opposite of this lived out in church leaders, let me just say I'm sorry. And the reason why, I thought about striking this and getting straight into, in, in, into the Jesus part, but I kept this in there for you who have struggled with church and this being the reason why, because I want you to see that that wasn't supposed to be. Now, if we held our leaders up to a perfect standard, well, this is setting them up to fail. But we want to organize our ministry in such a way that the leaders look and are down to earth. Just a real practical example. Why do I put this into my shirt? I could wear it around, right? I'm the man with the microphone. I'm the man with the microphone. I just met you. I'm the guy with the microphone. That means I'm going to speak later. I'm the man. Right? I tuck it in my shirt so that 
I would, really, my preference is that when I get up here, you're like, oh, that was the guy. How do we arrange ministry in, in order to show that we're just people? We're just people. That is why he, the high priest, must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. Look, I've asked for forgiveness from God the same way you do. Same exact way. No one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. And every once in a while I get the, get the question, how do you become a pastor? Well, you just kind of, you first say, I think that God wants me to. And then other people say, God, I think that God wants you to. And then voila, you're a pastor. Like, that, that's it? Yeah, kind of. But the whole point behind that is that as I heard and followed God from my life, and this is how it's supposed to set up for everybody else, as I heard and followed God, he gave evidence in my life to this being it, and then other people coming alongside and saying, yes, yes, we see that as well. And see, this isn't supposed to give us pride. This is actually supposed to humble those who are church leaders. Why? Because we just say, look, I just heard and followed and God did it, okay? I have no right to this position or title. He just put it there. And so this is vital. I, I kept this in here for those of you that have struggled with church to go, look, <clears throat> we're sorry for making it this way, that, 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 that you, we, we've, we've, as church leaders, have, have not allowed you to think that we can empathize with you and be down to earth with you. And this is a problem because if we're not down to earth and we're representing a God who, by definition, isn't down to earth, We've given you an image of God that is completely wrong. I heard this week, I heard this week about a student ministry where some mean girls ran off all those that were lost. If you ever experienced that here, talk to me. We won't deal so gently with that. However, bless you, however old or young those mean girls or guys are, we'll deal with that. Because we're not here for ourselves. We're not here to be nice little Christians. We're here to let people who do not know the down-to-earth God, that He is down-to-earth. So how can a down-to-earth or a non-down-to-earth God actually be down-to-earth? Let's take a jump back and look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. <clears throat> this high priest of ours understands our weakness. Now this high priest that we're talking about is Jesus. It's capitalized. It's, it's our great high priest. It's Jesus. He understands our weakness for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. See, for, for, for us to say that a God who sits up in heaven understands the testings, really what this means is the temptations, understands that the, the temptations that we do for a heavenly God who just sits up in heaven to understand the temptations that we deal with is like somebody who has always been in quarantine away from germs and sickness to say, oh, I know what it's like to be sick. You're like, no, you don't. 
But Jesus put flesh on in order to understand our weakness, especially when it comes to temptations. He was tempted in every way, just as we are. Now, some of you are like, I don't know, I don't know about that. Even, even though, was he really tempted? He was tempted with lust. No, he wasn't. Hey, look, let's be real. John chapter 8. Woman caught in the act of adultery. In the act, pulled out of the room, but the bedroom, and thrown in front of Jesus. <clears throat> Without using too much imagination, as we sin in church, there's not a whole lot of clothing happening in adultery. Correct? The act of adultery. At best, she grabs a sheet a shirt as she's being dragged out of the room. So at best, when she is thrown in front of Jesus, she's got a sheet to wrap around her or a shirt to kind of huddle up with. Look, people for centuries have been debating about why Jesus wrote in the sand and the dirt in that episode. I think I'm pretty clear to keep him and other people from lusting over the naked woman that's thrown in front of her or in front of them. He was tempted with lust just like we are. He was tempted with, with, with self-provision of trusting ourself for, our, for, for what we provide instead of God. We'll talk about this in just a moment, but, but, but that he was also tempted with giving up at the critical hour. When things got too tough, he was tempted with giving up and not following through with God's will. He knows what it's like to be tempted in every way, yet he is without sin. See, what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do is say, look, 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 he empathizes with you. He empathizes with you. He knows what it's like to be down to earth and deal with weakness and deal with temptation, yet, 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 he knows what it's also like to walk around that temptation and not succumb to it. So when, when, when we come to him with our temptation, he knows what it's like to be faced with that, but he also has the ability to lead us around that. This is why he told us to pray. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is why he taught us to pray this. It's because he knows what it's like to be tempted, but he also knows what it's like to every time go around it. See, a lot of times in church, we give off the, 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 the air that says, if you're tempted, you're bad. Excuse me? By definition, that would make Jesus bad. That we can't come to people with our temptation to go, I'm being tempted with this, because that would, that would show weakness. But Jesus is God who says, come to me with, my, with your weakness because I know what it's like to be weak and tempted. But that's not the only way he can empathize with us. Hebrews 5, 5, right after this whole talking about the earthly high priest thing, that is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, you are my son, today I've become your father. In another passage, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You're like, who's that Melchizedek? Who, who is that? I'm not going to go deep in, in, into that. 
He brings him up a few other times, but this is a guy who makes a cameo appearance in, with Abraham in Genesis in the Old Testament. Abraham went into a town, kicked some booty, and got some booty. And he tithed the booty to Melchizedek. Sorry, booty, the too much for you? Sorry. <laughs> not that booty, not Beyonce booty. I'm talking about money booty, all right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he didn't tie that booty. I mean, that's awkward. <laughs> you newfangled people. I mean, booty. Think pirates, okay? Yeah, pirates. He tithed the spoils of war. Better? Okay. Tithed the spoils of war to Melchizedek. And we see Melchizedek being a guy who had no beginning, had no end. And really what we think is that he is either, at, he is either a foreshadow of Jesus or it was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. That's all I'm going to say about Melchizedek. This suffice all of your curiosity about this weird named guy. The point of this is, the point of this is, is that Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted with self-honoring. To come down with the best name ever. I mean, he was God. Come down with the best status ever. But push that aside and say, I am not going to throw out my name. I'm not going to throw out my status. I am going to push that aside. And all I'm simply going to do is hear and follow the Father. And allow the Father to prove, to give evidence to who I am. And to let the Father exalt me. Jesus didn't exalt himself, but he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be tempted with it. Especially us guys, right? We, we, we want to move up. We want to climb up the ladder. We want, we want to prove ourselves, and prove our name and prove our status and, 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 and honor our own name. But when tempted with this, Jesus pushed that aside and said, no, thank you. I'm just simply going to hear and follow God. And we never see self-exaltation in church circles, do we? Church leadership. And look, there's a lot of guys who have platforms built on simply hearing and following Jesus and allowing him to give them the platform. Actually, probably most of the guys that we see that would be nationally known church leaders most of them built a plat or saw that platform built because they heard and followed Jesus. But we also are aware of those who also built a platform built on their own name. And it's a temptation. It's a temptation for all of us. I would love to go speak more. I'd love to go do, do more camps. And what's that tension between hearing and following Jesus but, but also taking opportunities to see the ministry expand. I don't believe God wants us to have just this poor little ministry. I believe he wants us to have a big ministry and do it in a, in a, in a great way. But are we going to do it because we have built ourselves up or are we going to do it because we have simply heard and followed Jesus and he has allowed us to have a platform in which to do ministry?
which I'm excited. Phil had more to do with this, and the band had more to do with this. I'm going to speak at the at the uh, be the camp speaker at the um, the 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 camp. Thank you, camp at, down at Dallas County uh, that the band does. So sorry, youth, you're stuck with me for an entire week as well. So I'm like, oh crap, can we go somewhere else? No, no. But that's the temptation. Is to exalt yourself and honor yourself at the expense of following Jesus. But Jesus knows what it's like to push the name aside, push the status aside, and say, I'm not going to exalt myself. I'm simply going to hear and follow the Father and let Him exalt me and give me the platform that He wants me to have. Jesus can empathize with us when we're dealing with that. And the reason why he empathizes with us is so that we will trust him to hear and follow alone. There's another way he empathizes. And this one's huge. And this is actually a section of verses that when, when I wanted to give up, not on ministry, on God. That when I felt like the more I prayed, the less God did. So why pray? And if I'm not going to pray, why even believe in God? He gave me this section of verses. And I believe this, coupled with what we're going to find after this, can completely transform some of y'all's life. 5-7, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. This is really talking about the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before he was killed, he prayed with loud cries, with tears. He was so much in anguish that he sweated blood. And he prayed to the God who could rescue him from death, asking him, rescue me from this death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Really the idea, not just heard, that he answered the prayers. Now take what you know, take the fact that you know the end of the story out of this. Let's just look at snapshots of the last hours of Jesus' life. He's at the Garden of Gethsemane praying. Snapshot. The mob shows up to arrest Jesus. Snapshot. The disciples flee. Snapshot. He's put on a mock trial before the religious leaders. Snapshot. He is mocked and, 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 and beaten at that trial. Snapshot. He's taken to Pilate for a farce trial in front of Pilate. Snapshot. Pilate finds him innocent doesn't know what to do with him, takes him back to the religious leaders and say, I don't know what to do with him. Snapshot, bloodthirsty religious leaders say, crucify him. Snapshot, in order to appease their, 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 their bloodthirsty nature, he has Jesus flogged, a.k.a. beaten to a point where his back was so wide open, internal organs would have been seen. Snapshot, 
Pilate it takes him back in front of the people and the people say crucify him snapshot Jesus carries his crossbeam probably weighing 200 pounds to Golgotha the place he's going to be crucified snapshot people drive drive nails through his wrist and toward it into this crossbeam snapshot the crossbeam is lowered onto the upright snapshot his feet is nailed into the upright snapshot he is hanging on a cross snapshot he breathes his last breath snapshot people roman soldiers take a spear up into his ribcage to prove he is dead snapshot people are taking his dead body off of the cross snapshot people are putting his dead body in a tomb snapshot the tomb is closed if you put those snapshots in front of somebody that doesn't know the story and gives them this verse and you say what do you think about this they would say God doesn't answer prayer look at this snapshot he's in the tomb the God that could rescue from death he doesn't answer his prayer look at that he's in the tomb some of you all of we live in a life of snapshots. Right now, you're holding a snapshot of where your life is. Some of you, it feels like you're in the tomb. You're saying, God doesn't answer prayer. Look, I'm in the tomb. That's not the last snapshot, is it? There's one more snapshot. It says, no, 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 no. Look at this one. He does rescue from death. He does answer prayer. What if we stopped having faith before that snapshot? See, Jesus knows what it's like to live a life of snapshots. To live a life that says, look at this snapshot. God doesn't answer prayer. He knows what it's like. He was in the tomb. But he also knows what it's like to not give up on that snapshot. Or to give up on God in that snapshot. He knows what it's like to keep going. And he knows what it's like on the third day to go, look! He does answer prayer. He knows what it's like. See, we all hold snapshots this morning of where our life is right now. And we all hold the belief in what, what prayer does and where God is and what He's doing. But Jesus is here telling you, I empathize. I came down to earth to live a life of the snapshots so that you can have faith in me so that tomorrow or the next day or the next day you can hold a snapshot that says, yes, he does answer prayer. Yes, he does. In this way, I'm sorry, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. This verse does not make any sense. How can he, he is God's son? I believe the writer of Hebrews, 
even, even, even feels that tension in this verse because he opens it up that way. Even though this is not going to make any sense. Even though he was God's son, he learned obedience. How does he learn obedience? How does God's son, how does God himself learn obedience from the things he suffered? Let's think about it this way. How much, how much did Jesus have to suffer in heaven? Zero, right? The only thing he did not know before he came to earth was suffering. Only thing. He had never gone through suffering. But he came to earth in order to complete himself through suffering. He knows what it's like to have the snapshot that says, I'm in the middle of suffering. It looks like God doesn't answer prayer. And he went through it in order to be our salvation. Because we don't learn obedience from the good times, do we? We really learn how to hear and follow when times are difficult and times are tough and we're holding the snapshot going, do I give up? That's when we learn obedience. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest and he became the source the leader, the entrepreneur of eternal salvation for those who obey him. And we, we qualify or we, we, we quantify obey by hear and follow. Hear and follow. He is our entrepreneur of salvation. He led us into salvation by being the one who says, yes, it looks like God doesn't answer prayer, but he does. And he led us into salvation because he went through that. God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek without beginning and without end. He is our high priest. So what? Okay, great. You empathize with us. So what? <clears throat> Why do we have a hard time going to our bosses? We're our parents. Great by empathy. This is a great Mother's Day, right? If, 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 if mother ain't going to empathize with us, ain't nobody going to empathize with us, right? Daddy's not going to empathize with us. Throw dirt in it. It's a gaping wound. Throw dirt in it. Walk it off. Amen. <laughs> right. <laughs> Mama's going to empathize with us. But sometimes we're like, no, I'm not even going to know. Why do we don't go to our boss? Why don't we go, don't go to the people above us with our issues, with our problems, with, 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 with something that's going to you know, tank the company, with, 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 we're going to leave the company. Why, why do we not go with, to our bosses with those above us with that? Because we believe the boss ain't going to empathize with us. We believe the parents aren't going to empathize with us. That We are going to get judgment instead of empathy. In that filter, let's read, let's go back and read 4, 14 through 16. With that filter of why we don't go to those above us, let's read this. Since then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, 
He came down to earth and entered back into heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Let's white-knuckle this. Let's not let this go. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings, temptations we do. We already read this. Yet he did not sin. This is the key. This is the key. This is it. This will change your life. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, a boss that we know empathizes with us. We can walk into their office and say whatever we need to say, and that boss will, 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 will empathize with us, including chewing him out. Boss will be like, I know, I suck. You're right. When we've got a boss who, who, who we feel empathizes with us and is down to earth, we can walk into that office and say whatever we want to. Here it is. Here's the filter. We come boldly to the throne of our gracious God because why? We know he empathizes with us. We know he came down to earth to put flesh on in order to empathize with us. We don't have a God who doesn't know what's going on. We have a God who knows exactly what's going on and he allows us to come boldly into the throne room of God. Think about that. Think about that. Anytime we want to, we can walk into the, bowl, the, 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 the throne room of God, not on our knees, not cowering, walk boldly into there. This is what prayer is. This is what prayer is, walking right into the throne room of God boldly and saying whatever we need to say to get it off our chest. And instead of having a God who throws lightning bolts at, at us, here is the God that we have. There, will, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Mercy is compassion. Grace is abundance. When we walk in and say whatever is on our heart to God because we are in need, we will receive compassion and abundance from God. That's a promise. And I hope this completely changes your life this morning. That you see prayer completely different. Prayer isn't a thing you got to get right. Prayer is a thing you just got to do. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, Jesus allows us to walk right into the throne room of God. And speak boldly to our heavenly God. Ain't that awesome? Ain't that crazy? I hope, I hope that you're going, why don't I pray more? Right? If it's walking into the throne room of God, like, why don't I do this more? I know that's where I'm kind of left. Driving down the highway, keep your eyes open. But you can go out walk into the throne room of God. At work, at school, walk into the throne room of God. Students, if you get this, you will lead us in this. Because you can get this better than adults do. And you'll lead us into revival. Imagine. 70, 80, 90 people just understanding that we can approach Jesus' throne with confidence and we actually do it boldly. 
That'll change this church. That'll change republic. That'll change the world. And we also do this on behalf of the people who don't do this themselves, who don't know. We are priests now. We all are priests now. And on behalf of the people who do not know God, we come to God going, how do you want me to engage with their life? This song, actually every song we do here, our band, their role is to lead you into the throne room of God. We love them. Their skill is amazing. You can hear them all week long. But their role is to lead you into the throne room of God. No matter if you walked in here this morning believing in a God or not. Their role is to lead you into the throne room of God. So as we play this song, as they play this song, Go into the throne room of God. Use this song to do that. If you want to know more about God's throne room and how you can get in there and can I get in there and what's keeping me from getting in there, if you need to pray through something, I'll be back in the back. Shelly will be back in the back. You can come grab one of us. But otherwise, use this song to enter into His throne room. Because if you can't do that on Sunday... You're not going to do it on Monday. Guaranteed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I pray that you will take the words that's said and sung, do something in our heart that just changes us and transforms us. Let's just see you in a an amazingly brand new life. Use this and use your scripture that says that we can enter into your throne room. Whatever baggage we have, whatever crap that we have, whatever, whatever suffering we have and weakness we have and temptation we have, we can walk into your throne room with it, throw it down, and talk to you. Do something that changes our life in such a way that this becomes how we center our life. Thank you. It's, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Stand with us and enter into God's throne room. Thank you for listening to the Cross Point Fellowship Podcast. You can find us on the web at cpf.me.